organize your amazing ideas into a powerful book, you are in the right place. At the right time to learn how to write your book. Hi, I'm Joyce Glass. And I'm Sherry Lynn Bisbano, and welcome to The Right Hour, nonfiction tips from The Right Coach team. We are so glad you joined us today. Welcome to episode 1203 of The Right Hour. It is so much fun to walk down memory lane with my clients. Carmen DeVallis, she was one of my first clients, and we became friends on her writing journey, which is a beautiful byproduct of my business. I don't gain new clients, I gain new friends, and you will love to hear how Carmen's book has encouraged so many people with family members or friends of people with dementia. Her book inspired her to create a nonprofit to raise awareness about how dementia affects families. She is a consultant and photographer, inspiring audiences around the world. During her 40-year nursing career, she worked with thousands of people seeking meaning and connection during challenging times, and then learned how to find her own. Audience enjoy her humor and unique way to help them shine by harnessing the power of images. She is an international speaker and award-winning author of Just See Me, Sacred Stories from the Other Side of Dementia, inspiring audiences using photography and storytelling. Carmen is also an Alzheimer's dementia advocate and founder of Doggies for Dementia Foundation, using photography to capture family memories and raise awareness for Alzheimer's disease and related dementia. Enjoy this episode. Okay. Well, I am so excited for the next session of the Right Coach Success Stories. And today is really special because Carmen was one of my first clients that I worked with. She was probably, I don't know if you're two, three, four, somewhere in there (laughs) that I started working with. And we had a great time getting to know each other and working together. So, Carmen, tell us a little bit about you and what led you to becoming a writer and writing the book, Just See Me. Sure. It's kind of, I think it's kind of interesting because I I really didn't have a strong desire to be a writer or an author. I always thought, well, oh, maybe I'll write a book one day. And it was never like at the forefront because I had been a nurse, a nurse practitioner 40 years. And um, it, yeah, 40 years. And it just hit me one day. It was like an epiphany. I needed to write some of those stories Mm -hmm. of my, um, my families and patients that had um, dementia, Alzheimer's disease and other types of dementia. I just thought if people could hear those stories, there would be so much less pettiness and mm-hmm. bickering because what they go through was so phenomenal and um, so much love and, and, and challenge. Right. Um, that's what happened. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'll do that. I'll just write that book <laughs> and tell their stories. Yeah. But how long had you worked on it before you met me? Do you remember? Um, probably about, I want to say about six months. Um, and, and in my newbie mind, I thought it would be all done by then and all wrapped up and ready to go. And then I looked and like, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And then somehow you found me. I don't, do you remember how you found me? I don't remember how you found me. I, I want to say Facebook. 
Now, because I had um, I had done all of the interviews with the families and even follow up, and I'm sitting there with the recordings in my notes, literally in my living room floor, and looking at these, and like I don't know what to do, and I just felt so much pressure and to do the stories in the right way with mm-hmm. the compassion and to tell their stories and in the beautiful way in which they told me. And um, that was huge for me. I just yeah. knew I needed help. Yeah. Yeah. So, I didn't even know about editors and how <laughs> that's like how newbie I was. <laughs> no. Yes. And just so you know, it took, it was a little bit over a year that we worked together, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that, there was some off time in there because she and I both had some things going on. I moved and I think she moved and, so we had some stuff going on during that time. So it wasn't solid year over that we were working. Um, but there was a little time off in there, yeah. but her yeah. six months turned into 18 months. <laughs> yeah. I want to say something about that break that we took though. And it was a short break too, and maybe three weeks, I think. And, yeah. but again, I'm sitting there and I'm looking and like, there is some thread to these stories. What is mm-hmm. it? What is it? And that's when the spirituality piece came to me that they were, you know, in this spiritual crisis and there were spiritual needs not being met. 13 stories, 13 different needs, which mm-hmm. was, you know, really something. And I thought, why well, didn't I think of that? My master's was all about spirituality and health. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I never thought about it. And, well, um, and it's, so. it's interesting how it all comes back around. Mm-hmm. Well, how does this book help people um, and, and tell them a little bit about the book? I mean, you've, you've mentioned it, but let, tell them a little bit more. Sure, sure. So um, I followed 13 families, which ended up being for almost three years time, uh, about mm-hmm. two and a half years. And I followed them to and I had one question. And I, like, what do you want the world to know? Um, not even about dementia, but, mm-hmm. you know, it came up, of course, and they were family caregivers um, caring for their husband, their their spouse, or even, um, let's see, I think, a wife. And um, some were in long-term care, some were at home, and um, some passed during the time of writing the book, and so mm-hmm. all different stages, yeah. and what well, they had to say. And there was the one lady that had her two sons, too, that... that- Oh, had dementia. Yes. That was that. That right. one was that was heartbreaking. That one. Oh, yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, and she passed this year. Um, oh, did she? Late. Yeah. Are the voice did. still living? Um, one, the the Paul, the youngest, passed last month. Oh, wow! Yeah. Such tragedy. So, yeah, she was um, in her seventies. And caring for with her mother, who was in her 90s, caring for the, her essentially all, all but one of her children ended up with the genetic form of Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. So it, it, they developed symptoms in, 30, in their 30s, yeah. which is not common. It's no. Not common. And, that, and yeah. that was the thing that was shocking. I did learn a lot <laughs> reading your stories about the different forms of dementia. And that one really shocked me. Because I didn't yeah. realize there was a form that could hit people so young. And mm-hmm. there is, it's a rare form, but it is one that, that does happen. So how yeah. do you want to help people with your book? 
Right. So it's interesting how it started. I thought sharing the stories and of course I couldn't do it without the photos. I just couldn't imagine telling a story without the images. And there again, I hadn't ever even taken a photography class, but I always had my camera with me, really a hobbyist. So I learned more about that. And um, what I realized in talking to the families, there was a common thing is that they felt misunderstood mm-hmm. by both the healthcare and by kind of even their friends and the public at large, because, you know, as you know, and, you know, you touched on it yourself when you're not familiar with it, you don't, you, the thought is it's all, all older people and it's kind of a short course. And most people are in nursing homes or in care and truthfully 80% are at home and mm-hmm. it does strike people younger and um, it's like a 10 to 15 year course uh, for people. Yeah. Um, and they, yeah, and they just couldn't um, get over the loneliness and the isolation they experienced because their friends and family even just couldn't bear it and didn't understand it and were afraid. And they had, they really wanted me to get a glimpse of just how difficult it was to be isolated. And of course, we're all experiencing some form of that now, which, you know. Thank you, COVID, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and so even my, the, my I formed a nonprofit, and that was the result of the book. And so the book is helping even more people learn about it and, and hear the various stories and go, oh, I'm not so alone. There are others feeling like this. Exactly. And that, yeah. I think, is what the powerful part is that people can realize they aren't alone on this journey. And there are people who are dealing with the same kind of thing. They not may not be in the same town and they may not be, you know, in the same place, but they have that same commonality that they can connect with each other and help each other. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to get back to the writing process. What <laughs> did the writing process teach you about yourself? Yeah. Oh my goodness. So what a Pollyanna I am. <laughs> no problem. I can do this. And and the truth is I could. It was all in me. But it once was. I started, yeah, and I felt the pressure of, oh my gosh, this has to be just right. I'm sharing their stories and it became a legacy for them, a part of their mm-hmm. legacy. And the importance did not get lost on me. And I kind of froze and I thought, what am I thinking? I'm not a writer. I'm not a writer. And that, of course, was a terrible mindset to sit down and start to write. And Mm -hmm. um, I learned as I started to go along, I'm like, what am I thinking? I've been given this for a reason. And of course, I can do it. Just just let go. What I will share is Carmen, her storytelling became better and better each story. Because each story she wrote, she learned. We went through it together. Um, we, that's she was private coaching. And each time you turn something in to me and I would tell you, you know, hey, do this, do that. And our fun one was passive voice. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she was the passive that, voice. That, that, that. <laughs> that, that, that. You are not the only one. I Recently, <laughs> I talked with someone and he... I went over, you know, about getting rid of that. And he pulled up his manuscript. He had 23,000 words in it and 524 that. And I said, that's about 500 too many. (laughs) 
He goes, mm-hmm. I said, you have less than 25. And he went, really? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's for those that don't know, I'll give my that spiel. That is not that necessary. It is a filler word that we use when we're talking because we don't walk around with the little thesauruses going, well, hold on. Um, let me find a better word for that right here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Usually there's it's a better that. word. Yeah, so. Mm-hmm. Or you can take it out completely. A lot of times you can just delete it completely and the sentence still makes sense. It's actually better because yeah, it's word clutter. It's, it was what it is. It's word clutter. So, well, you'll be happy to know now when I read an article or anything, when I see a lot of that, my thought is, well, there's that. And I think of you. <laughs> I have taught you well, my friend. You have. It is well. in my head. Like, you don't need that one. You don't need that one. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you start getting out the red pen on the article, I, I, I'm with you. <laughs> I have done that. I have done that in books because it irritated me so much. I'll take a pen out and start crossing them out going, you don't need all this. Yeah, well, it irritates me now too, Joy. (laughs) (laughs) And when I'm writing blogs, I'm like, I don't need that. I don't need that. Let me, let me just cut the words down. Let me make this smoother, streamline it. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, um, what has helped you write better? What are some things that you learned in that process to write, become a better writer? Mm-hmm. Well, certainly those specifics. And then to look at the wording. And I did use the, the thesaurus a lot. So <laughs> that was very helpful. And um, one of the things for me, though, was, you know, I, I read, what do people do? They have their times or their places. And I was in turmoil in my personal life. And what I needed most was not to sit at my desk, but I went to um, a labyrinth that I would walk and clear my mind, clear my heart. I'm like in this prayerful state. Uh, because it, for me, sharing those stories was really almost a, an act of prayer for me. I was, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so that helped me more than anything was just realizing I could do this anywhere. Right. And, um, I also wrote sometimes in a book first, my first drafts were just in my, my composition book. And um, because I just put it out there and that was another lesson to your first draft is just going to be junk. Anyway, it just gives you the stuff there right, and right. Um, it's not the final and um, but at least I had it all there. And then it really helped me get clear on what I really wanted to say. Um, in fact, some of the gist of the stories wasn't even clear to me until I just just started writing Mm-hmm. And journaling. It was my way of journaling about that story. And and that's key. That is key to writing. And I tell people all the time, that's the perfect thing to do is just write those things out, get the ideas out. And then you, you have all those jewels of information in there that you need. And then you can just cut the rest of it out. But nobody, I don't care who they are, Stephen King, John Grisham, Jerry Jenkins, any other J person you can think of. Um, Nobody writes a perfect first draft. And a lot of, especially new writers, have this thing in their head that it has to be perfect. 
the first time. And it's like, no, no, it doesn't. Just get it out of your head and write it. So if you are that person listening to this right now, don't put that pressure on yourself. That needs to be perfect. It, it, it comes out and so much better, doesn't it, Carmen? Yeah. And, and that was hard for me because I have that perfectionist piece in me and that clinical piece. And then there's the Pollyanna going, okay, I could do this. <laughs> and so I'm just thinking, oh yeah, first draft. And she's just going to stamp an A plus on it and send it back with a few suggestions. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, that was terrible. When I read it back, I'm like, oh no, you know, and it took a lot. She, when she and, saw the first round of red marks, she was <laughs> kind of shocked. <laughs> <laughs> there may have been some tears. I'm not sure. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, no, 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 no. That doesn't mean it's bad. That just yeah. that, that's what the that's part of the process. And that's something a lot of my clients have to learn. And I remember us having many a conversation about your perfectionism and the Pollyanna <laughs> viewpoint <laughs> to help you work through that. For those that don't know, coaching, whether whatever form, writing, life, business, coaching, and you're a part therapist too. So <laughs> you have to talk people off the ledge of perfectionism and, um, you know, or whatever their fear may be and get, help them do it. Because I, you know, I knew reading her stories right off. She had powerful stories. It's all in how you arrange those words and you, when you learn how to arrange those words in a better way it comes out beautiful and like mm. I said you know that I could tell each time you wrote a story it got better and better so you know the first uh, story compared to the last story that I got there was a complete difference because you had mm. learned a lot of the techniques along the way and right. So, yeah. They all ended up the same, you know, like that. But yes. then the process was very different, very different. Right. And, you know, I really, I, I really think it helped me because at the same time, I'm starting a business and learning all the business things and the photography piece of it. And I think it really helped me in the way I processed writing. I could process the other pieces as well mm-hmm. and just start. Start with it scrambled and that's okay. And then just keep defining, just keep defining. Yep. And, yep. So, mm-hmm. and the more you work on it, the mm-hmm. more beautiful it gets and the more you learn, the easier it gets. And so, mm-hmm. and that's why the, the last one, it, not necessarily that it was any easier to write, but it was easier to write better because you had learned all the techniques, you know, along the way. Right. So right. there was probably a lot less red marks. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I had never even heard of the term point of view. And even in a photography class, he said, well, what's your point of view? And I'm like, huh? (laughs) I don't know what that means. But it's true in writing also, you know, and it's so important. And and I learned to define that as well. And Yes, in fiction writing, if you don't, especially if you don't have a point of view, and of course, your storytelling, so it's it's like a lot of the fiction techniques you had to have. And if you don't have a point of view, they call it head hopping, where you're going from one person's point of view to the other. And that can, can be confusing for the reader because it's like, well, mm-hmm. who's talking about what, where, <laughs> you know, who's doing what? And that can be confusing. But when you learn those techniques, then it does make it easier to write. And it's much more interesting for the reader to read. Mm-hmm. So 
Well, and I, this isn't a question we have on here, but I'm just curious, what has the response been to the book now that it's been out for about two years now? Yeah. Oh, my God. So I have people from all over the world writing in on how it uh, felt to read other stories and both in preparation for what they may be going through and for confirmation, again, that they weren't alone. Mm -hmm. And um, interesting, uh, Joan, David and Joan, uh, who their story, when I walked in the door to interview and to do photos, she said, I know you're going to write in all everything's, you know, unicorns and and roses and confetti, but I want you to know the truth. And um, she was a little irritated and said, if you're not going to do that, and I said, oh, I have one question. What do you what do you want? What do you want the world to know? What do you want me to know? And she's the one who really came out really clear and talked about the isolation and loneliness. And then she said, I don't think anybody, I don't think this is going to be a very good story because I don't think, I don't think most people experience this because she had been in a very isolated world Mm. there of what was happening and her, their story was by far the most ones that people responded to and wrote me about. Because they they felt it. I mean, and and it's a normal reaction. And I think a lot of people, it's, I've talked to someone about writing a book about grief too. Um, It's the same kind of thing. People don't know how to react. Mm -hmm. And so they just withdraw because they're like, I don't know if they want my help or not, or, or they're scared to even see it because they scared to see that person in a different state than they knew them. And, you know, that's a hard thing to, to, you know, the person you worked with or your uncle, your friend, who, whoever it is, it's hard to see that person in a different light. And, and I remember that because um, one of, I think it's my husband's aunts, you know, she went, had some bad dementia going on and it is hard to see someone that you've known for years mm-hmm. In, t- in a state where they, they don't know half of what's going on, really. And it's it's hard to do, but we've got to remember there's family attached to that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and caregivers often feel um, uh, invisible. Mm-hmm. And, and the focus is on the person with dementia and the family who's there day in and day out, whose lives have been turned upside down and who are, who are learning to who don't have the privilege to say, I just can't bear to see this. So I'm not going to come around right. there every day. And um, yeah, which, which really brought about then the whole, the nonprofit doggies for dementia, because we're ways of awareness to help with this piece of it. And so Joan's story, who she thought nobody <laughs> would care about or understand has really created, and I, I'm happy to tell her that. <laughs> and she's there and she's become a fan, you know, and I'm like, listen, Joan, you know, if it wasn't for you and that saying that to me and telling that story, I don't think it would have been quite so clear in my head for a lot longer how important the piece is to raise awareness. Well, I remember to- reading that story and the first time I thought, wow, that's kind of harsh. um and you know because a lot of your stories had a very sweet aspect to it and Mm -hmm. she came in kind of brash you know just hey this is how it is and you better tell it like it is or I'm not telling you (laughs) exactly right and I that's what I wanted anyway and 
Um, and, and then, you know, I want to say one of the values for me for this book of it taking so long was that I did have some follow-up visits and theirs was one I followed up and I, it, I, all of them that even if the person had passed, I had, and, um, when I got there at her door, she just hugged me so hard and um, because she had seen some of the things. And so her, their follow-up piece, which became a popular part of the books for people too, mm-hmm. what happened next? And then what happened, you know? And um, so six months later, a year later, even more. And, you know, um, she saw yeah. it. It's, and that's where the thing is, if your book does take a long time, Sometimes there's a, a good reason. And with mm-hmm. that, you know, that helped. Uh, I know for me personally, my book, first book took four years. And part of that was learning the writing process. But it also helped me refine the message that I wanted mm-hmm. to share. And, yeah. you know, so don't be discouraged if your book takes a year or two or even four years to write. Because sometimes there's that learning curve or there's something else that you need to go through for it to make the book even better. And Mm -hmm. in that you're, it just, it hasn't happened yet and it's not there yet. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, yes, there's all these programs out there, write your book in 30 days or three days or seven days, you know, and the ones I crack up about is, you know, put your book together in two weeks and it'll be ready. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, and I, I actually had somebody ask me about that recently. What do you think about those? And I went, uh, they're probably not that good um, because you can't, I mean, you can't physically do that unless that is all you're doing 24 seven for those two weeks. Yeah. Um, and even then it's still not probably going to be the best quality because everything takes time to refine it and do it. And you can't just, you can't shove perfection and quality, you know, and not that we're Mm -hmm. looking for perfect books, but when I say perfection, there's that different level of quality that you're going to get. And that's what you got to think about. Do you want your book out fast and maybe not the best quality? And that's the thing I pointed out to this person that asked me about this. I said, Mm -hmm. or do you want a high quality book that's going to give value to your clients? That is them going to give you valuable people that are going to come looking for you. You know, that's what you, when you think about those and you see all those, you know, write your book in a week or throw your blog post together and make a book. Please don't do that. (laughs) I have a whole (laughs) podcast about that. Please don't do that. Um, Because yeah, I'm so glad you said that because I, yeah, for me, that was divine intervention at the time. Mm -hmm. If that hadn't happened, the book would not be as, um, has, full and as meaningful as it as it is yeah right you wouldn't have had that follow-up you wouldn't have had um and there was some other things that I know happened that you added to the stories um Mm -hmm. after the fact that after some of them we even added to after you had finished writing them then you went back and refined it a little bit I think Mm -hmm. there was a few of them you went and did that too and so Mm -hmm. To give yourself the time that you need, don't beat yourself up if you don't have your book done, you know, in six months. Um, unless, of course, you're just not working on it at all, then you beat yourself up just a little bit so you can get moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. if you're working on it and it's just taking <laughs> that time, sometimes you're learning the process. Sometimes it's like we just said, the refining 
of it mm-hmm. and that you're still learning stuff that you need to put in there. You know, you're still experiencing the things that you need to add to it. So I, I like that, that we had that um, little piece. Um, and I don't have this in here, but just tell us real quick about how Doggies for Dementia came into being. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, what I realized, the most popular images from the book and that I had of families impacted by dementia were pictures with dogs. And I'm most certain that's because dogs are so popular on social media and it made people look to go, mm-hmm. what's that? And then they would read the story. And so my thought was, well, if we want to raise awareness, we need to go where the people are. And the people are on the pages with pictures of dogs because mm-hmm. they're popular. And I thought, well, how cool would that be? And also I know when I had a dog with a shoot, Suddenly, it's just this people are like kids again, and they're way more candid and fun, and you just never know what's going to happen. And we just, there was a lot of lightness to it. There was no need to pose or to worry about me with the camera, even. They're just playing with their dogs, and which I really, really loved. And so I thought, great, we'll do that. And so Doggies for Dementia, that's how that was born. And I photograph people with their dogs. We do a whole lot more with regard to raising awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but those images with dogs and the people draw people into the stories. And they're learning about it without even realizing it. How um, fun. I love that. And, of course, mm-hmm. you know I'm a dog fan. We were just talking <laughs> about my puppy over here. <laughs> Before. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. little Miss Abby and her antics, and she's got some funny ones. And um, yeah. and my but, dog Sparky is, you know, he's part of my branding now. Oh, what kind of yeah, dog Sparky. is he? Is, he's a serious mix. <laughs> he's a, yeah, he's a terrier. That. Yeah, he's yeah, Chihuahua terrier, but more terrier, I think. And he's very, very sweet and. He doesn't go with me to public, you know, he's not too sure about other people, but, um, he's, uh, he, I have had friends with dementia who had bad um, spells and Sparky was there. And one thing I'm thinking in particular, when he couldn't remember even who I was, um, for a bit or where he was, mm-hmm. he would see Sparky because Sparky and remembered Sparky. And so Sparky's kissing him all over and it just eased the fog so much better and oh, he was able fun. to yeah so, it was, and, mm-hmm. I love that the, the dog you know you don't oh it's kind of like music too you know mm-hmm. the the dogs I guess spark that other part of your brain that um yeah. helps you with things and so that's fun very healing very very healing Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. question: Have you written anything else since we <laughs> written the book? It's like, are you working on another book? That's an interesting question. Um, y- no, but I've actually started thinking about it because I write a lot of blogs mm-hmm. and I do presentations, and I'm really um, integrating, especially now with the isolation and all the loneliness. That mm-hmm. is really, really. I'm serious for people. I mean, there are are people who have loved ones in long-term care who haven't been able to be there in six months or more and see their loved one. And yes. And, and many are literally dying of loneliness inside and not knowing why they're in their rooms for so long. 
um, without seeing many people and staff are doing what they can, but there's only so, so many. Right. Right. And, um, and I thought, wow, that's a spiritual crisis across the board. And I've spoken with families that have been impacted and recorded videos and blogged and shared their stories. And I thought, I think now the piece that strong element of spirituality and dementia and what it means to all of us, I can really, I would really love to focus on. And so last night as I was finishing my slides for this presentation, I thought, hmm, interesting I'm talking to Joyce tomorrow. Because, <laughs> I, yeah, I would just love to put that together. And, and that was the foundation. I think it's been almost 30 years now that I finished my degrees and my, my master's and things. And that was my focus of my thesis work. And I just love it. And yeah. Well, and it, isn't it fun how, yeah, isn't it fun how things come back full circle though, too, you know, mm-hmm. something that yeah. seemed maybe not as significant then, mm-hmm. but now you come to it and you're like, well, that's why. That's yeah. why that was important, really, then. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's time. I mean, we're in crises in a lot of ways right now in our country. And a lot of that has to do with our foundation, our values, mm-hmm. and um, how we care for one another and how we connect with one another. Right. And those are basic spiritual needs. Definitely. So I think it's time. Yeah. I do, too. I think it's past time for Carmen. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Like, hey, it's Pollyanna. I mean, Carmen again. (laughs) (laughs) Take your vitamin choice. I'm ready to go. (laughs) I'm ready for you. I'm ready. Well, tell us about your writing time. um, You said you're still doing blogs. So do you have a consistent time you write? Do you write daily? Or what are some things that work for you and don't work for you when you sit down to write? Yeah. Yeah. I write daily. I, because of posts, I do a lot of Instagram, Facebook posts. I Mm -hmm. do interviews. I've got the blog posts and presentations. And um, I I just find that writing and focusing right to what I want to, what message I have, how to get there. And the storytelling Mm -hmm. um, is is in everything. It's just in everything. I mean, we're, we're really wired for stories. And yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you begin with the story that we can all kind of piece together, like what she's trying to say. And it, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love mm-hmm. that. Yes. And so um, during that time, is there anything, do you have like a special place or anything special you like to do or music you listen to while you write? Um, I don't always listen to music, but I will sometimes listen to, say, an inspiring podcast or mm-hmm. a record. I, ha- I have um, books, recorded books, right. and there are certain passages that kind of get me fired up and in the right frame of mind. I begin my day with a prayer meditation time and then the, um, a piece of yoga for stretching. And that's I just that really helps me to get let go of the other stuff and there's a lot right now right and yeah I find I need to do that more and I have a journal right there and when I finish I'll jot down some ideas that whatever pops into my head and again that's judgment free that's just jotting down ideas and some of my best ideas have come right from that Mm -hmm. Um, because I think then it's free from all the other clutter what 
what pops into my head. <laughs> it can be a dangerous place up there, but um, you know, some of the ideas are just like, wow, where'd that come from? Or even the idea, doggies for dementia, who thinks of that, you know? And that- Well, and you make a valid point that I want to make sure everybody catches there that when you actually let go of things, because some people try to force the writing process and think if they just, you know, keep plugging, keep plugging. And sometimes you need to unplug and de-stress, go for a walk, yoga, an aerobic workout, a swim, whatever that makes you happy. You know, even for me, like at night, I like to sit and either, you know, I find a series that I watch on either Hulu or Netflix or something. And that takes my mind off of everything from the day. So then when I actually get done watching that, because my mind has been diverted from all that chatter for a little while, when I get finished listening to something, then I can plan my day clearly. And I know, okay, tomorrow I need to do blah, 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 blah. And if there's anything I need to be thinking about, you know, praying about, that's a good time to do that. So if you find yourself either stuck or frustrated, don't keep pushing through, just stop, you know, just stop and go get set. I mean, even if you take a 15 minute nap, if that works for you, (laughs) something to, because sometimes you do need it. I mean, I know that works for me that I'll get this like overwhelming, like sleepy feeling and I'm not like ready to go to bed, but I just need to lay down and rest and let my calm, my mind and body calm down because I've just been running, 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 running. And my head's like, uh, we're done. (laughs) We need a break. (laughs) Yeah. And and that happens with every writer that you, there's going to be times you need to give yourself a break. And, you know, I highly suggest writing daily if you can, because that keeps you at that writing muscle, you're practicing and using it. But sometimes if you know, you time, the energy, the stress, whatever, sometimes it's better just to take a little break. And, Mm -hmm get back to it. So that's a great point about, you know, if you have a morning routine it's excellent to do something like that, to keep your mind clear. And I like to journal every day too. Um, You know, sometimes it's just prayer. Sometimes it's just what's on my mind and what I'm frustrated about. And then sometimes it's fun stuff, you know, that's going on. Cause once I I notice you clear all your brain out of all that crap, (laughs) then, (laughs) then the creative juices can fly and you can get those ideas the doggies for dementia and anything else that comes to your mind so i love that well yeah, what words kind of are, downloads right yes it is it is yeah. but but you've got to give your brain the space to do it mm-hmm. or it you're you're going to keep you know feeling tired and deflated from it well what yeah. words of advice or encouragement do you have for writers who may be struggling to write their book or not even sure where to start. Some people are there or some people are at the, I've started writing it, but I don't know what to do next. Kind of where you were with your (laughs) interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, I think it's wonderful to have a coach. So I I don't know what would have happened, Joyce, (laughs) without you there. And for the information, of course, and to teach and to guide, but also just to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because sometimes once you start talking and just venting, I I know you probably remember this. We would just talk about it and I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I have an idea. 
Or sometimes mm-hmm. the idea just popped into your head and we may have been talking about something completely different as we often did, but then <laughs> the idea would just pop in. And uh, because I, I just let go of whatever worries were there. Right. With it. So, yeah. And so I think that's another great, great way to not, you didn't have to do it by yourself. And, um, you know, if, if you can have a coach and you're, you know, can, manage to do that and get some support in that way I'm all for that mm-hmm. um, but if not at least have a friend someone you can talk to who's a very good listener <laughs> because <laughs> you need to just talk it out right and yeah yep. well we actually have a couple options so if anybody's interested there's the write my book boot camp which is a group program and it's a more intensive three-month program And then we have um, the TWC Writing Club, and I'll put links to both of those in the show notes. And the TWC Writing Club is a membership program that is just a monthly um, fee that's not too bad, but you get a lot of for it. So I have added to my team since we've met, um, I've got Keith Keller, who helps people with audience building. He lives in Australia, so all the women love to hear hear his Australian accent. And then... (laughs) So that's um, worth the price of admission. Right? There you go. That's worth the price of admission right there. Let's keep talking. And yeah. then um, Sherilyn helps people with book proposals. So we do a training each month on writing and grammar time, which is um, just brushing up your writing skills and techniques. And then the audience building uh, is once a month. And then we do a group coaching call once a month. So you get to talk it out. You have groups of people to meet with. And both of them work similarly, just that the Write My Book boot camp moves a little faster, uh, actually mm. a lot faster than the write, the writing club. And so, but both of them are great options, just depends on where you're at. So like I said, I'll put the links in there for that. But that's my hope. I mean, I want to support writers like I do with you. And now I offer different levels of helping people. So if you can't do private coaching, there's group coaching. If you can't do group coaching, there's the membership. And that way everybody can get some help (laughs) in some form or fashion. (laughs) Yeah. But this has been wonderful, Carmen. I'm so glad to catch up with you and get to see where you're at. And um, I look forward to helping you on your next book. So (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Throw that in there and everybody hold her accountable. Where's that was my Tiffany last night. I mean, that's just like when that popped into my head. Because <laughs> I do remember saying I will never write another book. She did. And I said, no, you're not. You will write yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I just set myself up for that one, right? As soon as I said it, I'm like, oh, how long though? <laughs> yeah, that's like my friend who said she'd never get married again and, and never have any more kids. And she had a kid in marriage. And it was, we were all laughed. She's like, why does everybody find this so funny? I said, because you said you weren't. Mm-hmm. And we all said you would. And you yeah. did. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you say never, it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, you know the thing about never. You never say never because you just never know. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, thank so you. there's that choice. <laughs> yes, there is that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I use that phrase so many times. Yeah. Oh, and I think of you. So there you go. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Right Hour. 
Our goal is to help you achieve your writing dreams. You are one step closer to write your book. Learn how to get the book out of your head with the four steps we teach our clients. Sign up for the free email series at therightcoach.biz. The link is in the show notes. The four steps help you clarify your focus, create and organize your content, and complete your book. We share tips on the writing process, and you can download the writing planner to track your progress. Don't let fear and overwhelm keep you from writing your book. It's time to write your book.